Well, it probably is because he heard us calling him out a couple weeks ago, looking like a pinata. I'm just gonna say, I wasn't scared of him. I'd take him out. I wouldn't. You, you, saw that, you saw that video, right? I know you did. I, yeah, I did. I wasn't afraid. Not at all. I have no idea what either one of you are talking about. You said it was at the Jersey Devil. I'm just saying I'm not afraid of it. I'm just saying there's something scary out there, and that's what it reminds me of. Could be a hellhound. Could be. Well, a hellhound I might be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Jersey you know, Devil? You know, what, you know what else it could be? No. I know what you're going to say. What? Live from Go New ahead. York, it's Parababel. I was going to say, <laughs> it could be The Watcher. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, where's our spooky music? We need a cheap Casio uh, keyboard. We can do like little cheap sound effects. Yeah. Well, we got it on right now. Here's my car sound effect. That is that? really good. Yeah. I like it. And I have my constant dog barking sound effect going on in the background as well. <laughs> well, we're at the patios today. We're outside. It's a lovely day here in western New York. And uh, we said, let's go outside. Yeah, and record Parababble. I mean, we're, we're mobile. We said that from day one. We're mobile. We're low budget. Very low budget. We do what we got to do <laughs> to get it to you people out there. Yeah, so, you people. You people. We like you people. Yeah. That is a positive, Rob. I like that. Oh, hi, solid. Rob. Hi. Welcome back. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yep. We'll give the keys back to you at the end of the night. That Did way. you guys miss me at all? Yeah. Or were was... you like, oh my God, I'm so glad she's not here. This is so much better without her. That's the special edition part that didn't <laughs> get put out yet. <laughs> no. No, we had fun. We like Me and Rob like tooling around with that. Looking up little... recent events of Bigfoot and UFO sightings and Lizard Man. And yeah. We've got Man. a couple other ideas down the pipe we talked about. Yeah. Oh. So anytime, you know, you have to like tour the world or go somewhere, we'll cover you. I'm super excited about the possibilities of that mm-hmm. never happening, but if it does... <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we just go to Romania and do a show? Ah, Romania. Go to that. Was that where the forest was? The yes. Hang on, it's in my parallel super notebook right here. It Ooh. is. Is it Transylvania, or? No, it was Hoyu Baku. 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 And we are less than three minutes in, and I'm already chopping it up. Yep. Well, we're good at that, right? Well, so yep. what are we gonna do today? We're gonna do the Watcher. Yes. The Watcher. I'm this super is... excited about this. Where did this come from? You like? I know we like to talk about where the ideas came from, and okay. Do you want like the real story? No. You want like the unglamorous real story? Or you want me to like make something up that would make this really interesting? So you tell me what like, you approached what you us with this. Yeah. So I guess we're using the real story. So I was getting ready for work one morning, and I was watching the Today Show because I happen to watch the Today Show and get my daily dose of news while mm-hmm. I'm flat ironing my hair, <laughs> and they had this story come across that was called The Watcher. And as I'm watching this story, <laughs> no You're pun watching the watcher. Uh, <laughs> um, the first thing I thought of was, wow, that would be a really good Parababble episode because the story just seemed so utterly crazy and insane. And you know how our minds work that, you know, we like to kind of look out of the box when it comes to paranormal. Something flies things. by our eyesight, we're jumping on it. Right, so that's what I did. <laughs> so I reached out to my two good Parababble buddies and said, Rob, Jeff, we should do a show about the watcher. And you guys said, Nah, I said, really? huh? And I was like, well, it can't be as bad as forensic cleaning. <laughs> oh, there it is. How many minutes in, Rob? We're getting, I'm getting pot-shotted. Four minutes. 
You know, if only that episode, what episode was that? Do it was not, like, it's the one nobody's listened to. Yeah, that one. If that episode was like right under Bigfoot over everything else, I would have a leg to stand on, but I don't. St. Valentine's Day beat that one out. Ooh. Yeah. Hey, you can't win them all. That was a good one. That was a good one. That was. But anyway. They're okay. all good. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They're all good. Yeah. Every one of them is a gem. It's a gem of a low budget. They are. <laughs> this is how we do it. So anyway, so you're watching the show, uh, what is it, Good Morning America or whatever? Today's show. Today's I don't show. Know. Those are two very different things and you don't want to, there's two teams. There's the Good Morning America team and there's the Today Show team. Okay. And you said, hmm, this looks interesting. Yes. So a quick, quick little sample of what this is about. So this is um, about a house that is in Westfield, New Jersey. It's located at 657 Boulevard. You can actually go and look at this house. Lots of people do. Um, and it was purchased last in June of 2014 for $1.4 million by Derek and Maria Brutus. They're now selling it for $1.2 million, and they're suing the former owners because when they moved in, and they actually never moved in, so that's like a weird part of this. So too. they physically never moved they in. They actually never physically bought it, moved but in. then they figured out something along the way. They here. started getting these letters in their mailbox, and the letters were super weird and super right. creepy. So much to the point where they felt so uncomfortable that they never even officially like moved in. Were these letters going to the new house or their old location? The new house. The new house. At the 657 as Boulevard. As, okay. Right. So the letters were so terrifying that they never moved in and the property's been empty for like the last two years. So now they're suing the former owners saying that the former owners knew that this place was being watched and didn't disclose that when they bought the place. Mm. So they want a refund from the purchase price as well as punitive damages. So they're, they're trying to cash in on this, right? Now, the, um, the watcher, which is an interesting whole piece to this, right? Mm -hmm. Says that he's been controlling the house for two decades and that the former owners, who were John and Andrea Woods, sold it because it was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. That's a direct quote from the watcher. It was their time to move on. Yep. So another direct quote is that my grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s, and now it's my time. All of the windows and the doors at 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. So already like this is creepy and if you look at the house if you see pictures of it it almost looks like the amityville horror house you know with like the big huge windows mm -hmm. in the front yeah. and they are visible from the street so it's very possible that someone could be watching as in the watcher okay so this is how our story starts then yes so we got some lunatic air quotes mm -hmm. watching this house because let's start with that question why is why, Why is, is that watcher, happening? Why is, is the, the watching watching? Wawa. Wawa. Why is he watching, right? Nobody knows, right? Nobody knows exactly why. So, along with, like, how weird this whole thing has been, I just want to read you guys some lines from some of the letters that this family has gotten because I want everybody to kind of understand, you know, the brevity of this situation. So, you have two kids, or three kids, however many kids they have, mm -hmm. and you bought your dream home, and you're ready to move in, and all these things are great. And then these are some of the actual quotes from some of the letters. 
Um, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 20s, my father in the 60s, now it's my turn. Why are you here? I will find out. Now that they have to flaunt it, they pay the price. Tisk tisk tisk, bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. Now, this is where it really starts to get creepy because he starts talking about the kids. Do you want to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Once I know their names, I will call them to me and draw them to me. I will ask the woods to bring me young blood. Woods is in the previous owners. Okay. Have they found out what is in the walls yet? In time they will. <laughs> I am pleased to know your names now and the names of the young blood you have brought to me. Have you found all the secrets it holds? So these are just some of the quotes. Will the young bloods play in the basement? Who has the bedroom facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom, then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors allow me to watch you. Who am I? I am the watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades. You have changed it and made it fancy. That's kind of odd, right? Um, it cries for the past and what used to be in time when I roamed its halls. When I ran from room to room imagining life with the rich occupants there, and now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Stop changing it and let it alone. Uh, That's my hand, Rob. I was holding your hand. I was scared. Oh. Right? I mean, you know, maybe taken out of context, but if you're the parent of three little kids... And you're moving in. And you're moving in, and these are the kinds of crazy things that... People are sending you letters about which yeah, bedroom is facing the front. I'll know as soon as you move in. Like, that's super creepy. It's weird, too. I mean, I don't know. But I'm not a fan of The Watcher, but because... I guess, why why haven't there been any reports or complaints about this from any of the previous owners? Well, that's where I was going to go. Let's, let's step back a few here. You know, they're going after the Mr. and Mrs. Woods, is it? Yes. The previous owners. Because, you know, there's some secrets that weren't um, divulged when the house was sold, obviously. I, you know, let's go back even further. I mean, how old is the house? Do we know that? I mean, you said the 20s or something? Well, according to the watcher, it's been being watched since the 1920s, which would mean that the house is almost 100 years old. At least. At least. Okay, so what's, what's the importance of this house? Why does it have to be watched? Is there some property on there or something with the property, maybe, perhaps? Well, according to the Watcher, there's something that happened there because there's things in the walls. That's the thing, too. If there's something in the walls, you could probably figure that out. I mean, especially if you're getting letters like this to the point where it's scaring you from moving into your own home. I mean, you could get some kind of contractor or something to kind of take a look around and see if they could find anything strange. Now, there are some theories about who this Watcher could be. Do you want to hear some of these theories? Yes. So, one theory, and now, this is being investigated. Like, the FBI is involved now and other things just because, you know, it's, it's over a million big. dollars, it's yep. public now, there's all these things going on. So, 
some of the theories that are out there are that it's actually the Woods writing the letters because they're remorseful about selling the house and how to change a heart. And people think that because the letters contain information about the sale that has not yet been made public and only a handful of people were privy to it, pointing to an inside job. So, of course, the watcher could be a genuine person with no agenda other than watching. But that's one of the theories. Another theory is that it is a man from down the road who is mentally compromised. Um, it's an adult male child of a couple that live down the street. But no one will talk about it because he's crazy and they're afraid of retaliation. And that the cops won't intervene because technically no laws have been broken. But yet you have the FBI and... But really, when you think about it, into this. what law has been broken? So somebody no wrote, right? Somebody wrote a letter. You're sending letters to scare people. Yep. Yeah. Nothing says you can't write a letter and give it to. It someone. hasn't threatened anyone, has it? Per se. Like I'm going to kill you. The young blood is probably about the closest he's gotten to a threat, but even then, he's not very specific. And I thought there was a that the the local uh, town police had samples. Uh, handwriting samples and they have an idea of who it is because they went to the post office I believe at some point and they started tracking these letters where they were coming from but they didn't divulge that information either if I'm, I'm going off the top of my my cranium here but um, they have an idea that's being looked into right now so they could actually have someone in mind yeah, I mean, I also heard that it could be the family itself that's getting the letters that wrote them to themselves to try and get out of the deal. Yeah. And it could also be just, I don't know, some other third party that maybe they wanted to buy the house and they got out bit or they got beaten to the punch by this Woods family or whatever the family's name is that bought the house and they're trying to scare them away, maybe lower the property value in the meantime to... But, swoop in and buy the house at a cheaper price. But there's no one else, like you said earlier, there's no one else previously coming forward saying, hey, I got letters too. They didn't want me in here. They were watching. So if this is only happening between these two couples, the Woods and the new couple that didn't even move into the place yet, okay, there's something in... There's, you got you to gotta focus your attention, right, to these the people who sold the house, the people who bought the house. Because if no one else is coming forward, no one else might not come forward because they might have passed on or however the house was handed down. Or they might not even know. They might have moved clear out of the state and nobody knows what's going on today. But, you know, it makes a really good interesting point with the Woods saying, oh, you know, I could have, I screwed up on this. You know what, maybe we can renege on the deal a little bit. A little remorse, like you said. And now you have just this. Because I can't see... I can't see someone randomly. Well, let's talk about the fact that there was a very interesting murder that happened less than five kilometers from 657 Boulevard. So, we know we talk about, you know, sometimes paranormal activity, things happen, maybe attachments, maybe, you know, something going on. So, this is a really interesting thing. So, in 1971... A deeply religious accountant named John List shot his mother, his wife, and his three children in the family home, which was called Breeze Knoll, which is located less than five kilometers from 657 Boulevard. Kilometer, that's quite a bit of distance, though, when you're talking hauntings. Maybe, but 
just let, let's just play this out a little bit here, okay? Don't be so skeptical right off the bat. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. I mean, triangles of paranormal activity can be many, many square miles, and things still happen relative to that. Yep. How many mile? How many acres was friggin' Wackadoo Ranch? Oh, <laughs> tons. Yeah. So. Yeah. There might be something to this. So this is how crazy this man was. And now this does not just sound like a typical murder. So you come home, you shoot your whole family, okay. Uh-huh. Do you know what is super creepy about what he did after he shot everyone? What would that be? He played organ music and arranged the bodies in neat rows before fleeing. The horrific crime wasn't discovered for a month. List changed his name, started a new family in Virginia, and remained on the run for 18 years before his arrest in, 18, in 1989. So this crazy man, who's an organ player for church, That's creepy in comes home, shoots his mother, his wife, his three children, and then goes and plays some organ music, and then arranges the bodies neatly, and runs. And nobody finds it for a month? Nobody finds this out for a month. I can't imagine how bad that must have smelled by the time... You could probably smell it from 657 Boulevard. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then was on the run for 18 years before he was caught. Okay. Started a whole new life. Let me play, let me play, play this one off as like a, a dull moment. So how is that tying into this new house? Well, if you think about some of the weird things, the watcher was watching the house during this time. Because the watcher was watching the house in 1920, then a new one started in 1960. This murder happened in 1971. In a different place five kilometers away so who knows he could have been the watcher he could still be the watcher but why that house why not the house that it happened in why would somebody come home and shoot their entire family okay. he's obviously crazy true but that's a stretch in, in a theory because you're now watching a home that had nothing really attached to it per se, physically. Now, I would understand if that, that the guy came home and shot his family and it was in that house that the watcher is now presently watching. Well, how do you, we don't know. I mean, there could have been, he could have had some kind of thing going on that maybe when he killed the family, it left, moved on to somebody else. Could have. So this guy was actually caught by America's Most Wanted. That's how they caught him. They featured the List family murder. And I have a picture of this family. You, should, you guys should look at it because this guy is... Buku strange. I would imagine. Um, they, the um, episode was aired, and family of friends of this person, List, who was going by the alias Robert P. Clark, identified him um, because of the, obviously, the very familiar features, and that's how he, they found him. They tracked him down through America's Most Wanted. So List later claimed he murdered his family to protect them from the pain of financial ruin, but spared himself, feeling suicide would deny him entry into heaven. Because <laughs> you can be forgiven for murder, folks. He believed that they would be reunited in the afterlife, and he died in prison in 2008. Okay, so he can't be the Watcher if he's dead. So Westfield, Breeze Knoll, the mm -hmm. place where this all took place, um, burnt down in the mid-1970s and was rebuilt on the same spot, and it remains known as the List House. So... In the suit, the Broadduses alleged that they later discovered that the Woods received at least one letter prior to the sale in January of 2014. They argue that they were deceived on the grounds of a reasonable person would undoubtedly attach significant importance to the fact that a mentally unstable individual 
claimed a right of ownership to the house. So, so we get a letter going to the woods, at least one. At least one that they know of, from this strange person. Well, and you have, if okay, you have to have an alibi, right? If, like you said, I sold the house, I made the mistake, there's remorse, let's right. scare these people. Well, give me some proof that there's something going on. Well, I got this letter right here. They only get one, but the new couple that bought this house, they have like three, four letters. We don't even know if there's a, you know, there might be an undetermined amount out there that police or FBI are holding on and just putting out certain, certain letters just to kind of get it going there. So, you know... So maybe this is the Bermuda Triangle of suburbia where weird things happen and people shoot their families and watch houses. Uh, it's New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> exactly my point. It could happen. Is the Jersey Devil like near where this house is? Maybe the Jersey Devil's the watcher. I mean, but that's like a high-profile murder case. That's like... Yeah. I'm surprised I've never heard of that before. Pretty serious. And then to have it end where the guy's caught on America's Most Wanted. That's like Amity-level stuff. I know. I mean, who knows? It could be, like, somebody that was related to him that still lives in that area. I mean, who knows? It could be anybody. I don't know. Or it could just be someone who got a hold of this idea and has kept running with this this whole letter thing. And I'm just throwing it out there, you know? Just maybe having fun with it, you know? It's like a serial killer. They, they do things a certain way because they want to leave their mark. They want to leave the attention to them without actually being caught, obviously. So now you have this person or persons setting up the house just because, you know, it could be somebody retired, just bored. Saying, so, you know what, yeah. You know, and uh, didn't they, I, I believe they did a background check on the new family for that house to see if they uh, pissed off anybody, if they had any enemies, any deals or work relations that went bad. And I believe didn't they? They think they came up clean on that. Mm -hmm. So they kind of like got themselves out of like any, you know, finger pointing, I should say. But if you're watching this house in the twenties, I'm I'm thinking that was just an alibi. It's three <clears throat> generations. That's an alibi, I think. Yeah, I think I don't know. I'm just not buying it. You I think, think it's just somebody just, just having fun? Yeah. Somebody having fun or somebody involved in the sale or someone who wanted to be involved in the sale, either trying to get out of the deal or get in on the deal themselves. So <coughs> Excuse me. So what we're saying, I think me and you are saying, Rob, is that there's something financial or something that they want to do with that property and be involved with that didn't happen. Yeah, that's what I think. Hmm. Well, you know, there's been other stories about the Watcher in other parts of the country. Oh, for... so this is just not exclusive to no. New Jersey. No. So this particular watcher has a very specific MO. You know, he's right. writing these letters in regards to this particular location. But there have been other cases of watchers, quote-unquote watchers. Um, now, the most interesting one that I found was in 1915. And it's a woman by the name of Miss Alda Trumbull from Hillside, Michigan who started receiving letters from a mysterious person threatening her with death. After an incident where she stabbed herself in the forehead, it was discovered <laughs> so that the letters <laughs> were written by her in her left hand and that she had injured herself during a psychotic break. So she absolutely had no idea. <laughs> so she was... she was absolutely losing her mind. 
Almost like, split in half. Yep, split personality. Was writing herself letters in her left hand, so it wasn't her handwriting. Sending her these letters, and no one found out until she ended up stabbing herself in the head. Yeah, I don't want to laugh at that, on. but that's hysterical. Isn't that kind of crazy? But it's kind of creepy, too, though. Isn't it? Because I think it might be creepier than the other watcher. Right? I mean, like, super weird. What was the year on this? 1915. That's like happened. a twist to a bad horror movie. Yeah. I, I thought back then, like, people had time to do stuff. Like, you know, be creative. And, you know, there, well, was, there was, wasn't the big modern rush world that we live in. She so crazy, so. <sighs> yeah, but that's, shit, like, crazy. I think that this story, like, you know stuck around because you figure like okay well people do crazy things all the time but when you think about it it's 1915 so it was probably pretty you know big news that someone that's pretty drastic for that right that have time such a, an incident like this but she literally stabbed herself in the head <laughs> i can't just <laughs> writing herself dear abby i am having so many problems right stab <laughs> dear dear alita i'm gonna come and kill you and then she actually tried to kill herself so i mean it makes sense you know in the context of crazy but they oh. say that that's like you know an example of one of the other stories of the watcher so you're watching you got this whole watcher thing going on and it's i don't want to say it's a phenomenon but it's definitely something that's happening over here in the east coast and there's been other incidences of this um there's plain old stalking did anyone ever go down that avenue mm-hmm just as far as the watcher goes, yeah. or just in general? Nothing better to do on a Saturday night. Let's stalk. Let's, you know what? Look at this happy couple. Eh, I don't want them happy anymore. Let's just send some letters to their, their place Maybe. and mess with them. Could that be a, you know, an option? Sure, why not, right? I mean, anything. I mean, there's lots, of, there's lots of people. You know, if you have a stalker, it, it could be anything. You know, it could be a pedophile for all you know. I mean, there are so many different avenues to keep this going, but... Yeah, it could be, it could be anything. So there's another, um, and I don't know what the big, like, Unsolved Mysteries was, but one of these stories was actually on Unsolved Mysteries back in, um, back in the 80s. And it was about, they had a story that they profiled for this couple, Bill and Dorothy Wacker, who lived in a small town in Stark County, Ohio. They had lived in the same house for most of their, their 48 years of marriage, um, you know, but they had been subjects of this, like, harassment that began in 1984. So, in January of 1985, the Wackers' home was ransacked. Um, though this had happened twice before, Bill, the, the husband, informed the sheriff this time. So, two times somebody had broken in, they never did anything about it. This third time, they finally told the sheriff that something was going on. Right. Um, in July of that year, Dorothy was home alone, recovering from heart surgery. She heard a knock on the door. She didn't recognize the visitor, but allowed him to use her phone. Black eyes. If he had black eyes. Black eyes. Exactly. Um, and he told her that his car had broke down somewhere down the road Ooh. where she couldn't see it. After making the call and saying goodbye, she believed that he left. However, he was actually still in the house and managed to sneak up behind her and knock her out with a blow to the head. She woke up bound and gagged on the kitchen floor. She managed to crawl to an open window and alert the neighbors for emergency services. She was not seriously injured. But Bill came home to find certain things stolen. So it was a 22 gauge caliber rifle, a watch, a movie camera, radio scanner, a couple of other things. Um, and in the dining room, there was a message that said, cheaper, but will do, which was scrawled in crayon on the wall. About four months after the assault, Bill found the revolver on the front porch wrapped in a plastic shopping bag. Over time, the other three objects were also quietly returned. 
the harasser began calling the house, sometimes threatening the whackers with violence, sometimes simply breathing deeply. Changing their phone number several times failed to make the call stop. The harassment began to escalate. Occasionally, the watchers would hear a series of banging on the sides of their house, although they never saw or heard anything unusual when they check outside. Eventually, they put up a security light, but later found a note on their front porch saying, your lights are a laugh. Periodically, notes began appearing on the front porch, threatening and mocking them. Police noted that the uneven, jagged style of writing appeared to be due to someone using their non-dominant hand to write, as if to conceal their handwriting. No fingerprints had ever been found on the notes. And then in October of 1993, another attack on Dorothy sent her to the hospital with skull lacerations. Police searched the neighborhood, questioned residents, but failed to find any witnesses. Um, in November of 1993, the, uh, the couple staked out their own home, splitting into three groups, keeping in touch on two-way radios. Bill hid in a trailer in the driveway. Two of his son-in-laws watched from a van across the street, and Dorothy and her daughter stayed in the house. And after four hours of waiting, they decided to call it off around 10.30. However, then they heard thumping noises on the porch where they found nothing but a note saying, get the message. So they never found out who this person was. Um, the information that I said that after this aired, this episode aired, um, it was hard to like find out if the harassment had continued or what had happened. But since then, both of the couple had passed away. So Bill died in 1999. Dorothy died in 2010. Um, Dorothy was able to describe the man that attacked her. She said he was probably in his mid-20s, about 5'9". Blonde hair, blue eyes, but no suspect had ever been identified by the police. Um, and after she was attacked for the second time, now this is where it gets weird, police began to, to suspect Bill as her assailant. However, that was neither proven nor denied. Hmm. So I don't know exactly what made them think it might have been him, but it's a little weird. So this is somebody, like you were just talking about stalkers and harassment. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is clearly, like, why would you steal things and bring them back? Just to prove that you could do it. Right, but but why? Why come in and, like, beat somebody up twice? Crazy, crazy, Again, crazy. to prove that you can do it and not get caught. It's the thrill of the chase. So. Cat and mouse. I mean, that's definitely, you know, a documented case where something like this happened. Wait a minute. This, yeah. date, this is the 90s? Um, 1980s. 1980s. I think it aired in the 1990s, but it took place in the 1980s. So our technology wasn't there to get cameras or uh, closed circuit TV type deals. Uh, not, for, not, not for like the average person, person. Yeah. yeah. So why why weren't they running like um, video cameras out their window? Oh, again, even video cameras in the 80s. We I mean, were talking those giant Yeah, maybe four hours on the battery before it died. Recording to Betamax or VHS. Well, obviously the police weren't doing their job. No night vision. No. Ooh, night vision. So... Yeah, I would have had, like, friends hanging out. I would have definitely made it very, very tough for whoever's getting on my porch leaving notes, breaking in. And obviously the husband wasn't around when um, both, she, yeah, both, both times. Yeah, both incidents happened. That is a little peculiar. Mm -hmm. But if they did a stakeout... Yeah, if they were watching the place the whole time, they would know when the husband wasn't there. Well, if the husband's like, hey, we're going to do a stakeout, yeah. Next thing you know, you know, he obviously nothing showed up that night, guys. You know, was he just trying to torment his wife, maybe? But that kind of makes this watcher seem dull. 
It does. I was just <laughs> going to say that too. Right. I would not. That is more creepy. Right. And messed up than the actual watcher. I know. Because yeah, that's I just a so. bunch of letters. There's no nothing. Yeah. Right. Nobody's ever been attacked. Nobody's been, been yeah. you know broken into and things yeah. stolen. Like it's a whole other thing to say you're watching than it is to have somebody be in your space. Like if, I don't know if you guys have ever been robbed, but like. I, I was robbed as a kid, you know, like my parents' mm-hmm. house was robbed. And like, I'll never forget, I was probably only like five or six years old, but I remember coming home and pulling into the driveway and my mom like saw something that belonged to like one of us on the fence. Like somebody had tried to bring it and got caught on the fence. Yeah. And like she knew that something was not right. And I remember even as a kid, like walking into the house and seeing things like flipped over and emptied out and it's weird things were missing and just knowing that like someone had been in your house. Like, that is so much worse yeah. than getting a letter. Like, yeah, somebody's watching you, and that's creepy. And, like, I would still be upset by that, obviously. I think anybody would. Mm-hmm. But to know that someone's been in your space yep. and violated, you know, your privacy and your... Yep. It's just a whole nother level. Well, that's kind of what I looked into, because this whole story, I mean, I wasn't, as you know, a big fan of The Watcher to begin with. So I was like, well, what's creepier than that? And that's exactly like what you said, is knowing that someone's actually in your house not watching but they're there and so I got this story actually from 2013 ooh fresh it's it's recent but the only thing is I could not find any information about where it took place or the family's actual name because they wanted to remain anonymous they want copycats yeah probably and well once you hear the story you'll probably understand why Um, but this all comes from an anonymous teen he was 15 years old that revealed these details of a police investigation in his house. And again, the name and the location were withheld by the parents. They forbid him or the police from letting any of that stuff get out. And so what happened was this boy and his younger brother, one day they were playing around in uh, their parents' bedroom. And the younger, they were probably like wrestling or whatever, because at one point the younger boy fell into a bookcase. And he discovered that it opened up to reveal a hidden room behind it. And behind the wall was a spiral staircase that led to a secret room that had sheets, a wooden elephant, creepy dolls, sweet, a key, and candy wrappers that the kids both identified as being candy that they had collected from Halloween. Oh, that's creepy. And the police removed the family from the home immediately, and they said that they came to the conclusion that someone had been living there for brief periods of time... And they found um, various pieces of clothing. Now, obviously nobody was there at the time when the boys discovered this room, but there was definitely evidence of someone living there. So the police cleared the house, and the family sealed up the secret room, and the police said that they would probably never be able to find the intruder. And so if you go online, you can actually see pictures of... The house? No, no, not exactly the house, but the... um, the secret room, and I will post these on the Facebook page, but I'm going to show you guys the uh, the bookcase that opened up to reveal the secret room. Oh, that is it. super weird. And they didn't know about this. They had no idea. They had been living in the house, I, I forget how long it said they were living in the house, maybe a year or two before they found this out, and then there's the uh, spiral staircase right behind the, uh, the bookcase here, these pictures. Ugh. Yeah, and then the little area where the guy was living with sheets and candy wrappers and oh, all sorts so of stuff. Oh, that's so weird. See, because otherwise, if there wasn't for these pictures, I would 
call bullshit on this story, but there's wow. a number of pretty... Uh, Definitely have to post those. Yeah, creepy stories, uh, pictures to go along with this story. Yeah. Oh, wow. So somebody obviously knew the layout of this home. Yeah, that's the thing. It could, it may, maybe it wasn't the previous owner that sold the home. Maybe it was a couple earlier or a kid that grew up and knew about this that had no place. To, you, you just don't know what the... But yeah. that is very creepy, you know. Yeah. You want to talk about feeling like your space has been invaded or you're being watched. I mean, my story, I don't, I was never in a robbery, knock on wood or anything like that, or any craziness like that, but I can understand that feeling because we had a house fire, and everybody went through our house, everybody, I mean, firemen, everything was tore apart, watered, I, you felt like you lost some of your privacy, and that was just because they had to come in and do their job, but now, say you have a stalker or a watcher or somebody that's getting in behind these walls that you don't know about, I mean, how do you... How do you get away with it, you know? And then you then you definitely feel violated. That would scare oh, yeah. me more than a couple letters coming yeah. to my house. A couple letters coming to my house, I'm going to have it looked into, but, you know, I'm putting up some security cameras in this day and age. Yeah. But back then, if that was happening, I could kind of understand, you know, how, how else can you watch a house, you know, watch a watcher? You can't. It's tough. So there are definitely levels of creepiness that happen and occur here. Oh yeah, definitely. But you know, we'll see what happens with. Uh, well, there's well, they're still investigating this case, right? With the yeah, watcher, they totally are. And um, you know, I think that I don't, I don't know if they'll ever come to a conclusion of who it is because the whole thing here is that you got to have motive. You know, you can't just look. You you need to right. know what the motive is so that you know who to look at. And they can't find a motive for this case. Like, there's all these theories about what it could be, but they did a background check on the family. They've investigated the woods at this point. Like, there's no, there's nothing that links anyone to this. It really does just seem like it's anonymous, and that's the hardest thing. If I can't have this house, nobody no one will. will. Right? <laughs> so, this whole idea of these letters and everything, people refer to them as poison pen letters. And that's how I actually did some research on this to find some other cases that were similar. Yeah. Um, do you guys want to hear at all about the Circleville writer? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's why we're know. here. I'm a little creeped yeah. out after Rob's story, though, and I kind of have these images in my head of like. Are you going to go look at your house and... tonight and look around you closets? Look yeah. Around. You ever Tell get that feeling like you're being watched? Maybe. <laughs> Tell you your husband to start tearing walls <laughs> apart. <laughs> well, fortunately for us, um, we ripped out almost every wall in the house since we've owned it in the you know 14 years we've been living there. So. So I'm pretty was, sure there's no one. If something was hidden in the walls, you would know by now? Yes, yeah. I would definitely know. And the only thing we found was like old newspaper from like the 1930s when they didn't have insulation, and that's what they used. Yep. So that was the creepiest thing. All right, so poison pen. So poison pen letters. So this is the last story that I was able to find, um, but this is called the Circleville Writer because it happened in Circleville, Ohio. Everything happened in Ohio on these stories. I know, it's mm. weird, right? So, Circleville <laughs> is a small town about 25 miles south of Columbus. Um, it's a place that, you know, really isn't known for anything, but in 1976, the frightening letters started to arrive. Dun, dun, dun. Out of the blue. Yes. So, the first letter received was by Mary Gillespie, who was a school bus driver, telling her that um, the writer was aware that she was having an affair with the superintendent of schools and that it had better stop. Okay, so now... This could be 
significant other of the superintendent, mm-hmm. you know, somebody in the community that knew, that thought she was doing something morally wrong, right? So she gets this letter. But in addition to this, um, the letter also had a thread in it that said, I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Take it serious. So still, still disgruntled, a disgruntled right. wife, you know, somebody. Scare tactics still in place. Right. So the envelope is postmarked Columbus, Ohio. No return address, no signature inside, no way to tell who sent it. A week later, Mary received another letter with a similar tone. She kept the letters to herself until her husband, Ron, then received a letter. So the letter that was addressed to Ron told him that um, if he didn't do something to stop the affair, that his life was undoubtedly in danger. So still, you know, something could be going on. Mm -hmm. So the alleged affair then became the talk of Circleville, of course, because it's Circleville. It's small. It's a circle. Um, But the mysterious writer seemed to have understood the power of the gossip because the next letter was even more threatening. Part of it read, you have two weeks, you've had two weeks and have done nothing. Admit to the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast this on CBs, posters, signs, billboards until the truth comes out. Yeah. So Mary and Ron had told three people about these letters. Ron's sister, um, her husband, Paul, and Paul's sister. So Mary had an idea about who was sending the letters, and she had a plan. So according to Paul, um, the, you know, Ron's brother-in-law, we thought we'd scare the guy. We'd send him four or five letters. We sent him four or five letters only. There was no violence in them or anything, just that we knew who he was and what he was doing. So now they think they know who this guy is. So it's, you know... Joe Blow down the road, who has been giving Mary the eye, Uh and now he knows this. So they think this is who it is, so they send him some letters. For a while, the plan worked, and the threatening letter stopped. So they thought, you know, they had their man. But then a couple months later, Ron received a phone call, and the call seemed to confirm Ron's suspicions about the identity of the letter writer. He told his children he was going out to confront the letter writer. He took his weapon. He did not seem to be, you know drunk, intoxicated, anything. Like, he seemed of mind and body, like, good. Said goodbye to his children and went out. He hurried up to his red and white pickup, even though the letter writer had said he was watching it, and within a short distance of the intersection that he knew very well, like, this is a place he drives all the time, he lost control of his vehicle, hit a tree, and was killed. Somewhere in between leaving the house and hitting the tree, his gun fired one shot, and there was never any explanation of when or how or at whom the gun had been fired. So he didn't have a bullet in him. Somehow the gun goes off, fires at something, they don't know what, and then he crashes his car into a tree and he's killed. So this gets a little more mysterious now, right? So the police eliminated the one potential um, suspect. They ruled that Ron's death was an accident. But several residents soon received anonymous letters accusing the sheriff of a cover-up. So Ron Gillespie's brother-in-law, this Paul, said the sheriff had changed his story. The sheriff agreed with me, this is a quote from him, that there was no foul play. But then when I contacted him again, he changed his attitude completely. Then he was telling me that it wasn't foul play, then the suspect had passed a polygraph test. So even more controversy now. So supposedly they find this guy, they know right. who he is. Now the cop's saying, you know, oh no, we don't have anything, you know, it was no foul play. 
Then he gets confronted about it, and now the cop's saying, oh, yeah, no, he took a polygraph test, and he passes, not him. So you're back to square one again about what this whole situation is that happened. So this whole craziness is going on, and after Ron's death, the letters kept coming. So his wife, Mary, and the superintendent of schools eventually admitted to a relationship, so she actually was having the affair, um, but said it began after the letters were sent. Mm. Right? She kept her her job driving a school bus, but then a couple years later, the letter writing began putting signs along her bus route. So her daughter was being targeted also. So now this has escalated to she gets in her bus to go and pick up kids for school, and some person has put signs at different parts of the roads where she normally drives saying things to her. Very strange. Um, she ripped the signs down. Much to her surprise, behind the sign was this box and string and another post that was attached to the fence post. She took it to the bus, opened it up, and there was a small pistol. So when they looked at this, they thought that this might have been a crude booby trap so that when she ripped the sign off, the gun shot her. So now she's being targeted to try to... Somebody's trying to kill her. Um, Somebody... So when the cops looked at the gun, they saw that someone had tried to rub the serial numbers off of the weapon, but the lab tests were unable to read it accurately. Um, Were able to read it accurately, so they ended up tracing it back to Mary's brother-in-law, this Paul, Mm -mm. who had just split up with, with his wife, who was Ron's sister. But Paul denied any involvement. Um, on Feb, and so like two months later, they asked this Paul to take a writing sample. Right. Because now, you know, he's the biggest suspect. Um, and when they did this whole analysis, they thought that it was close enough that they were going to be able to get a warrant. They were going to do all this stuff. So the cops searched his garage, found all the evidence they gathered. He was brought up on charges of attempted murder. And he was on trial and then found guilty. Now, he goes, to, he goes to jail for attempted murder of his sister-in-law. Right. Writing these letters, right? Mm-hmm. All of this stuff, you know, on the stand, a handwriting expert, expert said in his opinion that it was Paul's writing. Paul's boss testified that he, had, he hadn't gone to work the day that the booby trap was found. Um, you know, so there was all these things that pointed to him. So he's given the maximum sentence, 7 to 25 years to life. Everyone had assumed that this was the end of it, right? Why wouldn't you? But that is not what happened. So the warden that had Paul placed in um, solitary confinement because they started to get letters now back to the sheriff and all these people involved, all of them were postmarked Columbus, even though Paul was imprisoned across the state in Lima. So they know it couldn't have been him now. Right. It has to be somebody else doing this. So for seven years, this guy's a model prisoner. Um, They continue to get letters on and off, but nothing that they can, you know, do anything about. He becomes eligible for parole, and the board says no. A few days after his hearing, Paul receives a letter in prison, and it read in part, Now, when are you going to believe that you aren't just going to get out of there? I told you two years ago, when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all. Ooh. So, 1994, this guy's finally granted parole after serving 10 years. To this day, he maintains his innocence. 
um, and he's sure that the real criminal is still at large. Uh, the letters finally stopped, but many questions remain. Who actually wrote the letters? Was Ron Gillespie's death an accident or a murder? And who made the booby trap found by Mary Gillespie? So really crazy, strange whole scenario there. Yeah, that's insane. Right? I would yeah. have said the sheriff at one point. I don't know. I mean, you think about how many different players could have been in that whole thing, but to go through such measures to try to, to actually kill someone and then to try to kill the other person. Yeah. Like, you either got to be really somebody scorned, <coughs> but think, like, I mean, how clever that they would be able to get enough evidence on this other guy. Well, who has enough, who has, who has uh, the ability to get all this evidence and has access to everything? Right. But who knows? You don't. I mean, when she was going down the bus bus route and she started seeing the signs, I would have said at that point, if nothing more was going on, she did that herself to clear up her name and anything and wrongdoing that, look, I told you it wasn't him, blah, 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 blah. Right. But, you know, and they, uh, you know, started looking at her daughter that way. Okay, but nothing, she knew in the back of her mind nothing would happen because she did it herself. She set it up. Let's throw the blame off, but... Once you go a little further into the story, then it starts to get really tricky. I'm going police enforcement. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you it's got like a job. A, it's like a bad game of Clue. It is. It really <laughs> you is. You've got um, like all these community people, you know, but it's a small town, so you figure everybody knows each other. Well, so I, I think that the main thing for me is that I started researching this thinking like this was an isolated incident and this was like something right. that nobody had ever experienced before and how cool is that that this is like happening and the original watcher yeah but yeah. then i found all these other cases that were sort of similar i mean not exactly but it was like okay well this isn't really something new this stuff goes on we just don't we just don't hear about yeah. it right the first watcher seems tame compared to all the other stories. <laughs> yeah he's just like i'm gonna write a couple letters <laughs> look through the window supposedly yeah. air quotes <laughs> He's just like, you know, <coughs> what a, a peeping Tom that has, you know, letter writing skills. <laughs> yeah, he's got some, he's on disability, he's got nothing to do for a few years, and we're just going to make up this whole story, and in his mind, he can control how this plays out, and you know, that it's. I think that comes down to a lot of these um, watchers, serial killers, stalkers, it's all about what they can, what they can control, and they probably get off on all of it. Oh, yeah. I mean... We, we've seen a lot of shows, we've seen a lot of true cases mm -hmm. where that's what it, it ultimately is. But it kind of makes you think, doesn't it? Like, you know how many times we get called into, like, home investigations and people tell us things and they're like, oh, yeah, this is happening and that's happening. And, you know, you kind of start to call bullshit because things don't add up. Right. And then you really wonder sometimes, like, how much of that people might be doing themselves. Mm -hmm. Oh, we know, yeah, for sure. Right. And this just, like, reinforced that for me. Like, really, people are crazy. Oh, yeah. And do crazy things. There are a lot of people out there who are on a different page. And we see a lot of them. That's a nice way of putting it, yeah. And, yeah, well, it is. They're on a different page. I mean, there are... Or planet. You, yeah. <laughs> we just don't know what, you know, in this field and in this life, in these stories that we, we bring to you guys... You just don't know what people are thinking. You know, is it chemical imbalance? Is it uh, sick little fantasies because they can? They've got nothing better to do. They don't have a life. They, maybe they don't have a family. So, you know what? I'm going to live in this little fantasy world. And um, it, a lot of this is serious and deadly, obviously. Yeah. So Or costly. Costly, yeah. 
I mean, because that's the other thing you have to think about. Why would they go through all the trouble to try to sue the real estate company and sue the woods that lived there previously? Why would they spend that much money if they really didn't think that they had a shot at getting some of that back, recouping it? Why not just put the house back on the market? You know? I mean, if you, if you were remorseful about buying it, why wouldn't you just turn around and resell it? Why go through all these lengths of faking letters and then suing people and having to pay legal fees for that? People are crazy. I mean, yeah, okay. You could go for justice. But they probably reached out to a lawyer. You know, you know, you know. I know they do good work, and I also know that they clog up the system, too, to make it work to their client's advantage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could say, you know what? I do have a family of three. I'm, you know... I'm your all-American family. I, you know, there's a lot of crazy people out here. I'm afraid for my life. You know, my wife might be home with the kids or something, and I'm at work or away, and something something does happen. This is not right, so let's look into this. I can't be home and watch my family because I have to go play church organ on Wednesday nights. <laughs> You're a church organ player? No. Rob? Well, no, I'm being funny. <laughs> going for a total different job. You know what would be cool is if someone sent us a watcher letter through email through parababblepodcast at gmail.com that'd be badass or where else could they reach us if they wanted to do that well they could send it to us through message on facebook at facebook.com slash parababble and if you're like a really bad watcher and you can write us a letter in 150 characters or less you could find us on twitter at parababble <laughs> use your bad typing thumb yeah. <laughs> with your opposite hand so we can't know it's your handwriting. Yeah. So over uh, overall with this whole Watcher thing, I think we started out with the Watcher, but I think the second stories, some of the other side stories were better than the actual Watcher story. So it led it led to something else again, and that's how we do this show, but... You never know where we're going to go. Never. Never. Never watch. Now we're going to get like... We don't even know where we're going to go, so that's how it is. But that that's probably going to wrap it up for us today, huh? Watching you. Oh no. <laughs> Puns and all. Well, this is Jeff. I'm signing off on Parababble. And this is Allison. And this is Rob. And we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. We're, watching. We're always watching.